Hey, welcome to the After Now podcast with Tim and George. Give us a listen. What do you have to lose? Because let's be honest, you've wasted time on sketchier stuff than this before. Hey, Tim. Hey, George. What currency do aliens use? <laughs> I have no idea. What, what currency do aliens use? Starbucks. Ah, I knew it. I knew it was Starbucks. <laughs> I was going to say it, and I didn't say it. Well, that's good. That's good. Yeah, not, not bad, right? Right. <laughs> All right. Good. Um, hey, everybody. So <clears throat> we have a, a very special guest on our show tonight. Um Paul Viquette. Paul is the author of, uh, of a couple books, but more importantly, he is a, uh, a friend of mine for, from ever, uh, back. So he's, uh, we'll get into to what Paul's about. Um, and what, some of the other things we want to explore is how do you go about and write a book? Um, mm. because 99.99% of people, feel that they have a book or a song or something in them and it never comes to reality so i kind of want to explore that too of because paul has a life right it's not like paul decided i'm going to take two years off i'm going to buy a tweed jacket rent a place on cape cod and write a book <laughs> he he wrote two books while still having a life wow so where, kind of where like, did where did that come from was that is that a <laughs> is that a goal of yours george it kind of is someplace right? deep because, down inside i'd like to yeah. see you in in a like sweater you know with like a you know peering out into the ocean you know pondering well, yeah. the thoughts of the universe right well, well the thing that kind of scares the crap uh, out of me about that is misery <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but but i i really i think that's a huge feat of mm -hmm. being able to not just start it but complete it and then go through all the rewrite and, and so i, I want to explore that um so i want to spend time on the books though too and then there are so many fascinating topics that are addressed here uh and so we'll get into that and, and paul if you would, I, I'll bet we're probably going to want to have you back a bunch of times because there's so much to explore just within the subject matter of the books. Um, yeah. But in terms of the books, and I think mm -hmm. this is I think this is really important. So, uh, number one, I read both of them cover to cover. Okay. Which is a big deal for me because I'm notorious for starting books. And then, you know, life happens and then I get bored or they don't hook me enough and I don't finish them. I finished both of these. So first, that's a big deal for me personally. Um, the second thing is as we introduce the books and the subject matter, I, I want people to understand. So there's generally stories on our couple different layers. You've got the story, but then you have the story that's truly being told. Um, and, and here's what I mean. 
both these books are really about a journey. And as we've always told our audience, the, what, what we espouse on our show is for people to be independent, independent thinkers, find out things on your own, have an open mind. And these books, if you read them the way I read them, will just, they will truly blow your mind because it opens so much um, in terms of people's journeys, in terms of finding spirituality, in terms of finding out, at least for me, there's certain things I think as humans, we kind of know are true, but there are pieces missing. Mm. And I think a lot of the topics you bring up in your books kind of fill in some of those things that intrinsically as humans, we kind of know, but we don't know how they all fit together. And, and right. so, um, and, and I found that just, these are the kind of books that make you think um, and, and just keep you grabbing for more. And, and there's, and, and Paul, what I think you did really, really well is you kind of gave a, a history lesson of kind of modernism um, as well as going back uh, of how societies and, and it does it's it's weird because you wouldn't think a book like this would bring in religion uh, and faith and spirituality but it brings up some great questions about it so mm -hmm. so so Paul's first book is called the disclosure paradox and the second book is called what doesn't kill her and in the, the so as we start the show the author's full name is Paul G. Viquette, V-E-C-C-H-I-E-T. And again, the books are The Disclosure Paradox and What Doesn't Kill Her. Um, and so um, What Doesn't Kill Her is, it's technically a prequel, but it's the backstory of one of the characters. Uh, and the character's name is Katrina. Um, and boy, that, this one really pulled a lot of emotions out of me. <laughs> it really? really did. Yeah, wow. it really, it really did Paul, because, um, the way I saw it and, and um, you know, I don't want to give away too much and we'll talk more about it. The reason it did is it's a story of someone with a gift or a and, curse or, well, or a curse, but I mean, truly in a perfect world, it would be seen as a gift. It would be right. nurtured. It would be protected. Yep. But as, as is so common, something that might be out of the norm or viewed as special, it, a lot of people try to use it for their own benefit in a bad way. And I, I really empathized with, with, uh, with the character Katrina. And man, you just wanted to protect her. <laughs> At least that's the thought I had. Yeah. uh with that book so um well without further but the reason I, I i wanted to put this context around the books and the message i got around it um is the books the uh the story 
and, and we'll get into um, historical fiction or whatever, you know, it should be classified as is this is in a science fiction context. And I don't write up right up our right up our alley, by the way, it is right up our alley. Right. But but um, I don't want to scare off women readers because um, it is a general rule. A lot of women readers get scared off by by science fiction. These are such compelling, well-written stories that are going to really make you think. So I wanted to, before I just came out and said science fiction, I wanted to let you know that there's a story. So don't tune it out just because you hear the label science fiction. I'm going to get so much mad mail. Of course women like science fiction. Some, some, some do, but you know what? You know what the right. reality is, is um, in general, if, if you look at the genre, it's not going to end up on like a book club list easily. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. And that's what we want because this is a great book to have on a book club list because there's so many things that come out of it. Um, so that's my long-winded um, prequel of, of our podcast. Um, and um, so Paul Viquette, our, our author who's, who's on the show, um, why don't you tell us about yourself? All right. Um, let's see. Well, George, as you know, you know we're practically family, yep. cousins almost, and um, uh, both come from um, Catholic, uh, Roman Catholic uh, families, and uh, you know, um, grew up in the Chicago land area. Uh, went to the University of Illinois in Chicago to uh, get my architecture's degree. Yeah realized that there was a high unemployment rate among architects after graduating in 81, uh, joined the Air Force and became an officer, stayed in for 13 years for that because we were forced out uh, for not making major when uh, uh, President, President Clinton at that time uh, wrote a um, executive order that uh, did not allow um, officers to retire as captains so before that we were able to retire, retire as captains but uh, so I was forced out in 95 uh, got back into architecture for 16 years and um, uh, after um, working my way up to principal level in an architectural firm the uh, the firm decided to change their marketing uh, strategy and let me go and I was able to get back in the government with uh, the Corps of Engineers. So um, I'm now with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers working in the Middle East uh, on huge projects. As um, a civilian contractor, right? Right. No, as a as a U.S. Army civilian. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for your service. Yes. Oh, yeah. Definitely. You're welcome. I I did volunteer uh, in '91 to go to. Uh, Iraq, uh, and I was at Wright-Patterson at that time, but Wright-Patterson had a lot of CIA there, and our mobility bags were taken by CIA, so um, mm. when I volunteered, they told me, no, you, you can't go, Captain, um, someone took your bags, <laughs> so uh, that finished that, so um, that was why, during- why would, they take, why would they take your bags? Because CIA, what 
they weren't um, they weren't equipped with uh, the military gear like we were. Oh, oh okay. So um, there, there were a lot of uh, Central Intelligence people um, uh, at Wright Patterson. In fact, uh, George, uh, one of the chapters in my book uh, talk about Foreign Technology Division, and um, I knew a female lieutenant who worked in Foreign Technology Division, um, and she indicated she was a spy, um, and her job was to monitor the economic um strengths and weaknesses of iraq wow so um yeah <laughs> that going off on a tangent but you you, you know the, the the chapter i was talking about where um the captain at that time uh louis silvani uh, and by the way uh tim louis silvani is uh really the, the book itself is almost autobiographical. So Lucivani, the name came up actually as a um, a play on my father's name. Silvano was his first name, and gotcha. Luigi was his uh, middle name. So I, okay. I turned that around. Okay. And, 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 that, and I was going to bring that up because I, I love when you hear about how authors find the inspiration, and especially for the protagonist, the lead character, um, quite an homage to your father yeah so uh but the interesting thing about my book and you know you talk about women um george uh the the thing about the disclosure paradox is that all the females are presented as heroes uh and all the men have um are you know they have problems or they're uh you know they they have weaknesses and the same thing with what doesn't kill her. Katrina being the protagonist um, is a, a woman, a strong character. And then she also meets up with, uh, as you know, Mary Ellen. And so, um, again, all of the men in that novel are, are seen as weak or uh, childish or simplistic. And um, I, I so, think that... so pretty realistic. <laughs> yeah, stole right. the words right out from under me, George. <laughs> awesome. Right. So, um, you know, George, you were saying asking how someone, you know, becomes a writer and what motivated me to write the book, right? Um, well, in two thousand and nine. It's kind of like when all this really started. Um, I mentioned about the, you know, in the book, the the experience that the captain had. Um, and, and Tim, when I was a, a captain in, in the Air Force, uh, I uh, stumbled upon a secret uh, basement in Fort Technology Division where um, they had a huge cryogenic chamber. And if you kind of put two and two together you start to realize that that cryogenic chamber was not for things of this earth sure so um i kept that secret for five years after i left the service i didn't tell anyone and the interesting thing is that it didn't bother me you know even though it would bother probably a lot of people i would think um knowing that there's something going on that they you know, they're not supposed to know. Uh, and 
so I, I kept it for a while. And, and then uh, things started to happen in 2009, right after I, I started watching a show uh, called uh, Ancient Aliens. Okay. Because the, the, that one show brought me to the memory of back when I was in, uh, a teenager of, of listening to um, Eric Von Donneken about um, his book, uh, which is called uh, The um, Chariots of the Gods. And in, in his book, he describes uh, a passage, a chapter in the Bible where um, Ezekiel the prophet does a, has a, a, a brilliant description about um, what appears to be a, a UFO. And I mean, it is detailed. Uh, it even goes into him having the experience of going into this thing and feeling the hand of God as he was rising while everyone could pretty much uh, intuit that uh, the hand of God would be, the invisible hand of God would be the, the G-forces on the body, right? Sure. So anyway, I, I put the, that ancient alien show together with my memory of being a captain, and I realized I, I need to start writing about this stuff, and I started to read a little bit more in, in the Bible. And so I started to actually write a blog. Um, and I was writing that blog from 2009 until 2011, where I needed to find work with the government. So <laughs> because there was some sensitive information in that blog, I stopped doing the blog. But I kept all that information. And uh, after I got to working in the government uh, uh, and I started to uh, get other experiences, um, w like uh, when I first started here, here in, in uh, Winchester and when I was in the apartment, um, you know, Tim, one of the things that I do is I meditate and I advocate everyone to, to meditate because it, it opens up a, a gift that we have in our mind. Um, so in one of the meditations, I actually went through um like a wormhole and i have that described in in the book you, you you remember that right george i do yep yeah so um all kinds of things started happening in in the span of um i'd say about six months when i got here in winchester all kinds of things started happening i started to meet different people i started to uh, meet people that um, had uh, interesting backgrounds that kind of fell into what the, the overall message was in, in this book. And um, through either um, uh, through either, you know, social media or just personally, you know, and, and George, if you recall, the, the Colonel, um, Colonel McGeorge, who shows up in chapter 10 of the first book is based on a real colonel. And I, um, I met him and, and everything that I described in that chapter, um, he described to me. Um, so um, I, I was co collecting all this stuff and I was documenting all this stuff. And I realized I, I needed to put it in, in some form of fashion in, in writing and in writing a book and so um i finally uh 
I guess, uh, started to put together the outline on a weekend. Um, and I put together 31 pages in one weekend Whoa. of outline. That's impressive. Yeah. Start to finish and without any editing or anything like that. And I stayed with it, right? So I just, don't know, Joy. Just I like spewing the ideas out onto paper is basically what you were doing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, I, I, I knew I needed to have certain messages in the book. I knew I needed to to make sure that, that I had certain characters, you know, because, Tim, every one of the characters that are in this book are based on real people. Every one of the events that happen in the book, except for a few action sequences that, you know, add to the the plot or subplot happened to me. So, well, and, um, and, 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 and Paul, if I can stop you there. So yeah. with that in mind, as you read this book, it makes reading the book even more intense <laughs> for real, because yeah. it is not only is it well-written, but there's a lot of, um, a lot of things that kind of happen, and I think everyone in their life has, has kind of had those experiences, you know, where they, you know, the saying, uh, when the student is ready, the teacher will arrive or whatever. And mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of these circumstances that happen, but also knowing that this is based on real life stuff. I think makes it more intense and kind of puts you in a different headspace when you're reading it. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, if you keep that in mind and you're reading this stuff, um, you know, people ask me, okay, so what was real and what, <laughs> what is not real? And, you know, I explained to them, but, you know, getting back to the part where um, I finished my 31 pages of, uh, of my outline in one weekend, um, I, after taking a shower, uh, returning from from where I was I was on a business trip and I and I actually spent my time um, on a weekend between uh, going from um, the Middle East to uh, to Texas I was uh, you know uh, in a hotel for the weekend and, and I just you know started to do that um, I look at my arm and just above my wrist on my left arm appears, as a burn mark, a perfect triangle with a sphere or with a circle at the base of it. I don't know if I told you that, George. Um, but that, to me, um, when I, I I was when I saw it, I immediately went to one of my psychic friends, and and by the way, all my psychic friends are are women, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. But um, I went to her, and and she said that it's essentially a, a sign of acceptance hmm. so right there um the book is meant to bridge the gap between science and religion there's a truth but it's not on either extreme there's the truth is somewhere in the middle and um that is the main effort in in the book is to um bridge the gap to fill in some holes that people may have about our existence. And, you know, there's this thing called disclosure, 
um, you know, that's the, the title of the book. Um, Tim, do you know what disclosure means in, in the UFO context? Um, you know what? I, I believe it. I believe I do, but I'm going to let you, All I'm right. going to let you go with that. And then I've got a follow-up question. Yeah, sure. So disclosure is the, the effort by common citizens to pressure the government to open data and uh, open, um, I guess, files that have to do with actual interaction or uh, actual events that are related to UFOs, extraterrestrials, or any other of that type of anomaly, even underwater. Um, they call them USOs, uh, under, uh, underwater uh, uh, objects. So um, that's the effort. Uh, it's, they feel that if we are able to get to those files, we'll be able to probably have the government pressured to um, move away from fossil fuels and go to something cleaner. Uh, we might even have some information about um, giving a better quality of life to people as far as health and human services, education, all of that. And my, my, the information that I got from uh, my uh, mentor, my, my uh, spiritual mentor, I'll call her, um, is that that's not necessarily a good thing. And it's um, the, the message there is that um, the humans we humans mm -hmm. are really flawed. Um, our DNA is flawed. We are barbaric. We are violent. We have a irrational obsession with possessions. Um, and at the very worst, you know, we are racist, but at the very worst, we could be um, genocidal to our very own. And that's seen in the community, the universal community. And be they don't want to mess with a species like us. They will not give a species like us any information that will uh, benefit us technologically because we're not ready for it. When we exploded the atomic bomb, um, it was like a fire alarm throughout the entire universe. That's why we had such a spike in UFO sightings because we're not supposed to have that kind of information on uh, that type of technology because it's like children play with matches what happens when you detonate a nuclear bomb you actually um, break a barrier um, with dimensions it has so, such a, a high amount of energy uncalculated that it it actually damages other dimensions that's why we had all these these sightings and every time that there is some sort of, of um, atomic, um, I guess, um, event going on or something like that, you will notice that there are some anomalies around either UFOs or something going on because they have a deep interest in that. So, um, so Paul is, is the, is the thought that we, did we discover that by accident? You know how we've discovered that? Um, first of all, it's not new. 
um, the a detonation, a nuclear detonation actually occurred sometime in ancient India. Um, I, I think they date it uh, back to about 70,000 70, years ago. And in the ancient text of the Mahabharata, um, there is a description of the detonation and uh, they attribute it to Shiva. Shiva probably was a um, extraterrestrial and they uh, say that uh, something to the effect where I, I forgot the, um, the the actual quote from Mahabharata but when we when they they saw that there was a quote and it says something I have seen the face of death or, or something like that well fast forward to 1930. 336 and you have Adolf Hitler who is very much um, enthusiastic obsessed with the occult mm -hmm. and on his staff he actually had a woman uh, who was able to communicate with the spiritual world and one night they did have a seance and she was able to gain information about um, nuclear uh, energy and they were able to get this information to their scientists. So um, that's how that information got to the humans through, through that oh. event. Um, uh, and and, and so, for, for those of you that are not uh, generally into this stuff. This is all true. Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark was about Hitler going after things in the occult. Um, right. yeah. And he, he had a whole division of, of people scouring um, ancient texts and ancient uh, sure. burial sites. And so this is all based on fact. This isn't like mumbo jumbo stuff this is well documented yeah and, very well and, documented and it he he went after i mean he scoured um you know africa um he scoured the middle east for artifacts you're absolutely correct and yeah and, and it's very well known um this this indian text um is very well known i i i think they describe like an aerial battle too uh like you said 10 or 13,000 years ago. Yeah, you're right. Um, the, the, uh, that Mahabharata and the Bhagavad Gita, they, they all have uh, some very interesting um, information in there. They talk about uh, Vimanas, for example. Uh, a Vimana is uh, essentially a UFO in, in the, you know, what the Indians, Indian people would say. Um, but um, I'm looking up uh, the um, uh, Oppenheimer's quote because uh, uh, what had happened was that after they exploded the atomic bomb uh, at White Sands, right? Uh, when after, well, oh, you're you're talking about uh, what is it? Now I've become death. That that quote. That's the one. Yeah, now I become death, the destroyer of worlds. 
Exactly. Uh, I can't remember the rest of it, but now I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. That's it. Okay. So, so that's the quote from the from the Mahabharata. I oh, gotcha. Okay. So he knew about that. And, and and Paul, just to put this into into context, um, and and there's this is what's great about this book, because as you read this book. I think it gives you a really good overview, even for someone that's completely unacquainted with um, extraterrestrials and UFOs and a lot of these different things. Um, this is a Google fest. And it's like, <laughs> you'll read something. I, I, I mean that in the best possible way. Um, you know, you'll read something, go, hey, let me look. And then it's like, oh my gosh, you you know, you you'll learn so much, and what it does is it opens your thinking. Um, and you know, so, and the thought is that perhaps a lot of societies have that what we're experiencing has been experienced many times over, and when they kind of get to this point or a little bit further, they end up blowing themselves up. Well. And Maybe, the- I don't know, you know, it, it could be them or it could be that uh, someone sees that uh, we've just gone too far and they, um, you know, they, they kind of stop the, stop the movie, you know. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and Paul, um, the thought was the human race was, um, there was evolution and all that, but there was a purpose for the human race, right? Well, um I wouldn't say that in my, my belief is, is that I don't think that we were um, evolved directly from the apes. I think um, we are uh, a, like a, a genetic um, uh, result of a high, highly advanced uh, race that uh, essentially made us to, to be a slave race. Um, because uh, there are mines that are dated back to nine ninety thousand years in Africa for for gold, and gold is uh, the best conductor for electricity. Mm. Um, so, um, you know, when they when when all the ancients were uh, valuing gold, um, it it was be- because uh, they saw it as their um, the ones that you know they called their gods. They they valued it, so they figured, well, if the gods valued it, then we should value it. But gods value it for something other than just, you know, um, beautiful statues and, and jewelry. They needed it for um, functional purposes. And that would, and so that, that's the one part in terms of the spirituality. And what I really appreciate about this book, a lot of science fiction is written that, um, they write futuristic stuff where, oh, we've evolved, pa- we've evolved past the need for religion and really, and, and that makes people really uncomfortable. I, I think what um, exploring a lot of these things does is it kind of reinforces religion, right? So a lot of these texts, religious texts are a couple thousand years old. And so it needed to be understood by the people back then. And I think by finding new things out in, in a way it reinforces religion. So let's say the world was created in seven days. 
if what you know your theory there that that we were created by another race could you know kind of reinforces that if you if you take seven days literal seven days to it could like have been a thousand years, right? right it could have right. been seven thousand years. To an now. alien, oh. it might be you know seven thousand years to us. Who knows, right? Right, but uh, that's what I really appreciate about this book. Um, it because too many science fiction books poo-poo religion completely. I, I think that this did a nice job of throwing a lot of information out there. And again, we we want our our listeners to be very independent thinking, and this could fill in a lot of the gaps that are just, you know, right now expected. Just believe it, right? Well, this could have some logic behind it as to why those uh, why those religious texts say what they say. Yeah, I think um, what's important. What I've been doing is uh, I had been reading. Uh, the Bible, and I've been looking at, you know, the Mahabharata and Bhagavad Gita, not as um, religious texts, but as um, ancient history, really. Um, there are a lot of elements in in the Bible that I feel have been misinterpreted by a um, uh, unsophisticated uh, observer. And, and so when they see something that has a high technology, they all, are, you know, immediately attribute it to something from from God. And that's not necessarily the case. Um, the, the other thing, you know, George, you, you were uh, talking about the, um, the Google, uh, you know, that, it, it's go- that it, you can Google a lot of stuff. When you were reading that one chapter that I had about um, all the, the, the little stories of, um, related to extraterrestrial evidence, uh, on Earth, uh, were you actually going in there and and, and checking and see if, if I was actually writing um, the truth or if it was made up? So um, this is uh, given a little history of myself. Yes, <laughs> on some of it. But I was the kid in grammar school that would um, check out all the old books of like Project Blue Book. Uh-huh. So um, I've been doing... Um, a lot of research into this for quite a while. Mm. Okay. So did you check um, out it, uh, any of those? Um, uh, you know, I, I gave a lot of coordinates of um, of things that, that uh, had to do with uh, the information that, for instance, that Jim Peniston got from from the uh, the craft, and also the coordinates in uh, Antarctica. Did you check those? Yeah, yeah, the Google Maps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it. And that, that's what I meant about being a Google fest. And, and honestly, um, even on, uh, I'm, I'm jumping around here a little bit, but even on your second novel, when you talked about, I believe it was Admiral Halsey. No, um, or, or, For, Forstall. Well, Forstall. That's right. I, I knew it was someone that had a carrier named after him. Um, uh, I, I mean, this was a war hero and, and just, I had to look that up and I'm like, holy cow i never knew that you know and, and we'll get into that later yeah. but no right. i i didn't um the google machine was was quite busy as i was reading your book all right so you know you mentioned that you like to have people that are open-minded and yep. the, the one thing that i because it's the first book um and because my intent is to write 
science fiction novels that are based on truths that people really don't understand or know. Um, but since it was the first one, I wanted to ease the reader into the, um, my process. And, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to get into the rabbit hole and get too deep. And so, so, you know, there's a chapter in there where I describe going into the rabbit hole and, you know, you know, all the stuff about Anand going uh, in, in our country and, and uh, people being, you know, having all these conspiracy theories. It's good to have, and it's healthy to have a distrust, um, a cynical, I guess, view of authority. Mm-hmm. But taken too far and it, it becomes, um, you know, something that, you know, is pretty much of a, mo- a monster. And so in, in the book, I describe how I prevented myself from going too far in that rabbit hole and being very cautious about anything that makes you question things. Um, trying to explain to the reader that, you know, you really need to, um, you know, you could have an open mind, but you also have to really do your, your research. Yeah. And, and I thought, I thought you did a really nice job of going into detail, but keeping it high level enough for a majority of people. Um, the other thing that stuck out was when talking about um, like these conspiracy theories, Oftentimes, it wasn't the government per se, but it was factions or rogue factions within both the government. Them. In both books, yeah. Yeah. And, and I thought that that was really interesting um, on, on a couple levels. One of the levels was, it's like the first thing presidents get asked is, are UFOs real, right? And, yeah. and the way you described it, it seems like a lot of the information about our interaction with and knowledge of um, otherworldly creatures and technologies are not necessarily shared amongst all levels of government. Correct. Yeah, it's called plausible deniability. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's part of it, but also some of the players aren't... um, aren't as well-intentioned. I'd heard you talk at one point, Paul, about, I think it was in the 50s, where um, supposedly there was a meeting with President Eisenhower. Right. And um, can you kind of explain, because I think that kind of sets up a lot of the conspiracy theories and how the relationship is and why there isn't full disclosure or because it, it seems like if it were common knowledge, there would have been leaks by now. Right. Right. Yeah. The, um, so you have to set the table, uh, 1953 cold war, um, and Eisenhower. And it was just after, you know, just after 
World War II. So we're still messing around with atomic energy, um, detonating um, in the bikini atoll, and uh, you know doing things like that. A um, an ex supposedly an extraterrestrial race uh, contacted the administration and offered to meet with them. And did they had one condition? The condition was that we disarm an, uh, nuclear our nuclear arms, and they would meet at uh, Hulbert Field in Florida. Um, Eisenhower thought it was a Russian plot, and decided not to um, agree to meet with them. Later on, another entity contacted them to meet with them at um, Holloman Air Force Base. Holloman Air Force Base, this meeting um, has been fictionalized in the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind. So at Holloman Air Force Base, um, these guys uh, did not have any preconditions. They just wanted to meet with them. So Eisenhower went with uh, members of the uh, defense uh, department, including defense contractors, and the Archbishop of Saint of uh, Los Angeles. I, f I forgot uh, who his name was. So they met, and the they met with Grays. Now, Grays are not what we all think, and I'll explain that later. But the Grays uh, essentially. Uh, asked for, or they offered um, technology, and in return, we would allow them to abduct livestock and people as long as no one gets hurt for their own, um, I guess, you know, they, they want to do experiments and they want to get more knowledge about humans. Okay. Eisenhower did not like this idea at all, and so... He left the meeting, but who was left in the meeting was um, non-government entities, our um, defense contractors. Bell was there, Northbrook was there, Rockwell was there, and of course the archbishop remained. So when Eisenhower left, the Gray and these people, they made an agreement. So there was an agreement with with uh, Earth people, but it wasn't with the U.S. government. It was outside of it. Interesting. Devious. So when Eisenhower left, he has a speech just um, before he leaves and turns over his um, administration to Kennedy. And when Eisenhower left, he has a speech and um, he talked about the military-industrial complex. And... He was warning us in a, a, a critical manner that they are not to be trusted. And, and that was revel. I, I mean, talk about revolutionary for the time for yeah. a sitting president to say that. Right. Um, was well, and crazy. You know, fast forward and you got Kennedy who, uh, has always been reckless. I mean, he was he was reckless as a PT commander. Uh, he was reckless with uh, Bay of Pigs. He was reckless with um, uh, 
you know, the, uh, uh, we call that the, um, Cuban missile crisis, Cuban missile crisis. Yeah. And he actually wanted to blow this thing up and, and, uh, let the, uh, you know, the public know what's going on. And I think that's why they offed him. It, the thing is, back then, would people have believed it? I don't know if people would believe it today. Well, so, yeah. so you know, I was, I, I was thinking about that. And it seems like for many years, um, there's been a campaign to kind of groom us towards accepting it. Through accepting what? I- I- accepting disclosure through through different movies and um I mean, I mean honestly the thought of aliens i don't think is alien to anybody now um well, I, I think um what they're trying to do is they're trying to paint the uh, uh extraterrestrials um all as actually uh threats i don't think they're not since et for example did they actually show um extraterrestrials being uh, benevolent and i think w- when they're trying to do that they're trying either to um, to slow down that disclosure effort, mm-hmm. uh, trying to get people, um, you know, uh, be quiet about that, or you know, instill some fear. Um, and you know, of course, there are some conspiracy theorists that think uh, something worse is going to happen. But uh, I don't want to go there. Well, I mean, the military has been um, a lot more forthcoming, or at least it seems like they've been a lot more forthcoming. Um, as of, you know, the, I'd say the last part of 2022, 2021, sorry, they've been a lot more forthcoming with, uh, disclosing video footage from fighters and, you know, and from, from mission missions that have been, you know, declassified that, you know, show, you know, objects moving at great rates of speed. You know, they also include the audio where people are like, how is that thing moving so fastly fast? And, you know, it, it mystifies a lot of people who look at it and they say, well, you know what? Um, that doesn't follow the normal convention of, uh, you know, how things work in an atmosphere. It's moving, yeah. uh, erratically, you know, um, you know, you, you see that and you see the government, you know, being a little bit more forthcoming. You see organizations like NASA who, you know, what, correct me if I'm wrong. I think, I think it was recently they announced how it would report ET contact, right? And that was that was in like late 2021 too. So you start seeing, and I don't I don't know if this is related or not, but you do see a lot of um, uh, organizations within the U.S. government, at least, who seem like they're willing to have more of a conversation about mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Okay. So, but here's the thing, Tim. Um, it's one-sided. Oh, um, you know, I don't we, doubt that. We are um, probably trying to um, normalize the situation um, to try and and perhaps uh, 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 put put a damper on a possibility of hysteria. But um, we're not getting any response from anyone out there. And we're still, we're still under what's called a, a quarantine and, and we're going to be in that quarantine until we fundamentally change our ways. And, and you're saying quarantine as a planet, correct? Yeah. 
So you're saying it's kind of like a, for the Star Trek fans out there, um, it's kind of like a reverse, um, uh, what is that called? Uh, when, you know, first contact situation where, you know, they they see the dangers, they see the children, the proverbial children with, um, you know, firecrackers and and uh, they shouldn't have access to that technology so until they're ready to wield the technology um no touchy those people are off limits yeah uh essentially um technology um should be should be on, on the same timeline as spirituality and our spirituality is still back in the uh, year zero, but our technology is, you know, 20, 22. So we have to, we have to evolve spiritually and uh, until we, until we, we, we do it, we're, we're, we're going to be under a social and a, um, technological quarantine. And, and, and let me explain why. Now, and it's very simple, and it's because of the way we all this planet works. Um, if we were to gain information on the technology, high technology, regardless of what it would be, um, the the uh, the fear is that um, very powerful people, very wealthy people, and and governments would eventually um, weaponize it. And once we weaponize it, and it's equal to the technology of the ones that gave it to us, we will uh, have that, um, like the uh, Monroe Doctrine, you know? We will use that kind of justification to quote unquote conquer the universe in the name of humanity and wipe out other races out there that are benevolent and, you know, that are advanced and and benevolent. And, and, you know, we may see them as, you know, like just like the white man did to the native Americans or what what we did to the Aborigines. That's a, it's the same principle. And I think that's a fair concern. And, you know, at the time of this recording, you know, um, it's important to note that NASA's confirmed 5,000 worlds outside our solar system. You know, we can't confirm whether or not there's life on them, but we know they exist and we have many methods to confirm that. Um, And, you know, um, and there's a war in Eastern Europe. (laughs) Um, and, And my point with that is, you know, we're taking technology from the internet, man-made, and weaponizing it, and uh, in the form of malware. If you didn't listen to our last podcast, in the form of uh, software that can do harm to others. So, if if we can weaponize our own software and uh, train it against other humans, can you imagine what we would do if we had access to alien technology? Yeah, uh, it, it, you know, especially with you know with the things that motivate us you know what what's motivating us there's nothing um really benevolent that that motivates us it's it's about power it's about wealth 
Um, it's about control. And it's also arrogance, thinking that uh, we have a right to um, kind of lord over everything. Well, yeah, and, and you know, if it did come to that, I would, I would wager that uh, the evangelists, for example, will point to the Bible saying, "Hey, we're the God's greatest creation, so we're allowed to do this." There's always I, there's there's always someone to justify anything, I, and right? I, I really can't say you're wrong about that either. <laughs> no, no, yeah, and, yeah. and it, it, you know the what I see, um, what I'm seeing in in just overall society today. It's um, it's pulling in both directions. Uh, I do see people reaching for spirituality, hungering for it. Um, but I also see a lot more tribalism, um, which, which goes back to such primitive times. Um, mm -hmm. And I think what we're missing overall is a balance. Um, and like you said, Paul, about materialism, um, how much is enough, right? Um, right. Oh, man, you ain't kidding, especially when you see stuff, uh, you know, it, unbelievable that the, um, the imbalance between uh, the wealthy and, and the poor in, in this world is, is just phenomenal. I'm sure that uh, advanced races are looking at us like, no, they, they can't have what we have. No, no, no. So, Paul, I have a question, you know. Yeah. All right. So what happens if um, there's another great breakthrough? Um, someone like an Elon Musk or someone like a, whoever, um, you know, is able to say, you know what, we we're able to build some type of method to either come up to or surpass the speed of light. We're able to break the barrier in which, um, you know, travel would be, you know, traveling to the nearest star, travel, traveling to many nearest stars, whether it be 10, 20, 50, 500 light years away. We're able to break that barrier. Uh, given the, the technology that we have today, that doesn't look likely, but let's say there is a breakthrough. And we still have this um, imbalance between our spirituality and our technology. What happens then? Uh, it's an interesting thought. Um, my, my thought is that it, it won't get to the point where we would be threats to the, the rest of the universe. That the, there, will, there will be some sort of um, sabotage, if you will, on that. Um, but if it does happen, um, you know, there are a lot of other, there are many advanced races out there, um, and not just, um, three dimensional races, but there's, you know, there, there are other dimensions, um, that we're dealing with. And I, I'm sure that, uh, there would be a plan just in case that happened. And, and you bring up an interesting thing because whenever, um, whenever I just need to humble myself in terms of what we're capable of or whatever, 
um, you talk about different dimensions. Yeah. And um, science fiction is really fun because it explores different dimensions and that there could be another parallel universe um, that we just don't see. Right. And, and what this brings me to is, and, and again, um, for those of you listening to this who may be chemically altered i apologize because it's just gonna make your brain go in a little different direction that is fantastic <laughs> um so what what's what's interesting for me to think of <clears throat> is an earthworm so an earthworm feels that they have their universe figured out they don't have eyes they live underground um and their senses i don't know that i don't believe they have ears you know they can they have different senses and might be able to to sense different things certainly than we do but they have no idea about what's above them what colors look like and stuff like that so if that's true of earthworms it's also known that the human senses can only perceive certain parts of the spectrum right so for example we can hear certain things but dogs can hear more right we can see certain things but it's just a fraction of the color spectrum mm -hmm. so whenever we get cocky <laughs> that we are this master race understand that to someone else we're an earthworm yeah, two others, yeah. And, and so, and you can understand why they might be scared of that earthworm having a handgun <laughs> or bazooka, right? <laughs> so True. I think yeah. that's fair that, uh, and boy, this is just... There are, there, are, there are a lot of things that are kind of coming together um, to the point of this conversation. You know, you, you have... Um, you have, uh, breakthroughs and, and technology, um, where we're mm -hmm. able to generate uh, a high volume of energy in a, in a very short amount of time. I'm talking about fusion. Um, and, you know, obviously breakthroughs recently have been reported. You've got Elon wanting to, you know, launch his starship. Uh, he calls it the starship, but I mean, honestly, it's it's just a really big rocket, right? That would have capabilities of going to Mars and and back. Um, but nonetheless, a technological leap. Um, us being able to um, bring space closer. Um, you know, I'm wondering if, and I've never really thought about it in this context before, um, because I I do believe there is life um, outside of earth and, and outside of our solar system i think it, it's a mathematical impossibility that there isn't life and if you mm -hmm. you don't believe that uh, i i respect that position but math is not on your side but you're I'm, wrong well no i'm saying math is not on your side <laughs> and and um you know and th there have been a lot of people who've discussed this and we're not we're not going to reiterate that but but it would be interesting to know hey if the aliens, the races out there, if, if, uh, that is the case, uh, and I'm not saying that it's not, I'm not saying that it is, I'm taking a neutral position on this, but if they do exist, um, it would be pretty interesting to see, um, you know, what their view of us is because, 
you know, for 20 years, it's relatively quiet, and then war breaks out, and then 15, 20 years go by, and then we decide to, like, completely, you know, take out an entire country. I mean, as a race, I'm not talking about as a country or whatnot. They're looking at Earth from a micro and macro level because they're looking quite literally from the top down. Uh, and, you know, that is an interesting perspective I, I've never given a thought about. But, you know, you can really admit in the last 10 years, 15 years, there have been a lot of innovation. And a lot of that innovation is headed into orbit. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so, well, so uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Paul. Well, um, you know, you bring up um, another part of the equation, Tim. And first is that uh, the uh, extraterrestrials are not just out there. They're here too. Antarctica, for example. Why do you suppose we don't have any weapons or any countries uh, that are actually, you know, claiming territories in Antarctica? Hmm? I, I always assumed it was really cold and no one wanted to go down, you know, up yeah, you or know, down there. A, well, <laughs> but, that's a good point because there's a lot of resources down there. Right. There's yeah. a lot of resources down there. It's a very good point. And there's also treaties right. in place, too. Right. Yeah. So so um, you, you've got Antarctica. Um, there's a reason why we never we haven't been to back to the to the moon because something's going on over there. Um, you know, a couple of the astronauts uh, have inferred that they witness things that should not be there so um it you don't have to go too far to to find uh life beyond earth um but the other thing is that the universe the, re the reason the other reason why uh the universe was concerned about us having a nuclear um energy or power uh, is because um, well, because destroyed a planet, and our planet is key to the spiritual development of the entire universe. And why is that? Because our planet is actually a training ground for the spirits. It's kindergarten for the spirits. It's where the spirit, who is linked to the human body, um, learns about love about creativity, about beauty, even about pain, suffering, all of the things that make us human, all that, that adds to the human condition. This is where the spirit learns. And if we learn and we live our life the way um, we should be living our life, which is um, making things better for other people, then we go on to a, a higher existence. If we don't, then after quite a while, um, the spirit comes back into another uh, body to learn, uh, and and that is the karmic uh, law. So, the Earth is is very critical to the universe, and you know it's very special. Um, people are right saying that uh, there's something special about the planet that, that, you know, it has all of these, these properties that the moon uh, is so perfect for the planet because it, 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 um, it, it adds to the life and the, you know, the biosystems. Um, there's, it's, it's been set up that way. Yeah. What you're referring to is, um, 
the moon actually uh, provides a counterbalance to the planet. Um, it really um, uh, allows us to, one, if anything passes too close to the Earth, the moon's gravity would probably drag it in and, and, and protect the Earth from anything larger, right? Um, secondly, and it's been known to happen many times. That's why the moon has so many craters on it. It's been impacted by, by material over millions and millions of years. Secondly, mm -hmm. um, as far as the tilt um, of the Earth and the tidal cycles that we have and just how things work from a um, Earth sciences perspective, uh, a lot of that is influenced and regulated and controlled by the moon. And it's uh, a quite a unique relationship um, that the Earth has with the moon. Um, and without it, life on Earth would probably not thrive as well as it has. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So, um, so that's the other part of the equation is that, um, they're, they're concerned about the planet more than they are of the humans. The humans are expendable. You know, they could, they could make another, um, species, probably a better one, hopefully, and, uh, have something in the brain, um, just like we have in the brain that links us to the spiritual realm. So, um, I think that that's a, a very key element in our uh, relationship with the rest of the universe. Do you believe that um, information has been lost um, when we when we exited the time of antiquities and came into you know other ages? Do you believe that information has been lost um, that may have been common knowledge at the time? Um, uh, regarding you know uh, visitors from another planet or um, technologies that we may have had that we, we may have forgotten about yeah I, I think it's either been lost or it's been suppressed um, you know I there are uh, illustrations of, of the um, the Baghdad batteries uh, there are illustrations of yeah uh, that's kind of where I was going I'm, I'm you brought yeah okay okay very good you know the, the light fixtures um, in in the pyramids i mean in th those places are dark how, how the heck were, were they uh lit there, there are no signs of soot in in the chambers you know um things like that that there's um uh, you know what were pyramids really for uh, being um just uh monuments for for dead uh i guess um what do you call it pharaohs i i don't think so no <laughs> so um, yes, I believe that there is a lot of, of lost um, information, uh, both, uh, well, not both, but in, in Egypt, in, in uh, ancient India, in middle America, you know, if you look at uh, Machu Picchu, if you look at uh, Puma Punku, and you look at the way that the um, architecture was made there. We don't have the technology to make that that kind of of joinery. We still don't have that technology to make that kind of joinery, and we don't we can't figure out how you can get those massive stones up those mountains. You know, um, yeah. There's there's some somewhere there's a gap of information. Yeah, and um, it's it's pretty well accepted I, i'm going to go back because you brought up something that was very good baghdad battery you know there was some artifacts that were unearthed it was um i believe three ceramic pots 
Um, it had a tube of copper in there. It had a mm-hmm. rod of iron in there. Um, mm-hmm. And they believe at one point, and you know, that's that's essentially you throw some salt water in there, and you've got a battery, basically. Um, right. They, they believe that it was used for electroplating or some type of electroplating, um, perhaps even, um, you know, other applications we're not aware of, but. That is uh, the technology that, you know, a lot of people or our civilization, the, the you know, the human civilization had at one point, uh, it was lost until it was unearthed. And when they found this, it's very clear what it is. We all know what a battery looks like today. Um, and we all know what you could do with it, whether it would be for, you know, <laughs> uh, again, electroplating or um, some type of... Uh, uh, you know, uh, technology that we wouldn't even have thought of today to use it for. We very easily create light with it or, or make fire with it as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, those are types of things where I, I do believe we've lost um, some knowledge between, uh, again, the distant past and now. And, you know, a lot of that, uh, you know, a lot of that's a shame because antiquities uh, back in the day, um, you know, I, I believe there was a lot of information that was um, uh, crucial to our civilization. And um, I think we took a step backwards. Um, well, and, and, you know, that's interesting, Tim, just based on our previous conversation. Yeah. Maybe those guys were as big a knuckleheads as we are. And they <laughs> and they stepped in and kind of turned back the clock. And that's exactly where I was going to yeah, go yeah. with it is, you know, you had said through intervention um we take a step back uh the the library at alexandretta right didn't that burn to the ground yeah Um, it was and a lot of information in that library was lost forever um and a lot of technology was documented there when when we say technology we're not talking about like you know starships or even automobiles but we're talking about technology of the time yeah and um so what i find interesting about this conversation uh, so so paul by writing these books and we didn't we didn't touch on your second book yet but by writing these books it's going to spark a lot of thought in people right also yeah and what i find interesting and and i've heard it said about songs um when someone writes a song you know it might be very personal to them and they might write about a person but once they publish that song it kind of no longer is theirs. It's each listener or each reader will kind of take those words and apply it to their own perspective. Hmm. And, and and do you think about that when you write a book of saying, you know, so this is a, these are very personal stories to you, but do you ever think about, wow, after I'm done, this may have a, a very different message for people or, or, may have an impact um i just wish that um when they they read it that uh, they have a a respect for that kind of information that they don't uh get cynical about people talking about things i want to um and, and i think it's we still have that problem where this kind of discussion is seen with a snicker or um you know, cynicism, um, you know, people may joke about it and, uh, we need to take it, um, and, and make it into 
a serious uh, subject. Um, I was working with um, a uh, professor. Uh, his name was A.R. Borden, and <clears throat> he was a, also a contactee, and, and he was uh, trying to put together a plan to make ufology um, actually like a uh, um, an area of study in uh, postgraduate work. And, and so there we we're putting together ways of of making it, you know, uh, valid, uh, of giving it some so sort of, of uh, you know, certification. We were talking about um, ways of how um, we set up standards for uh, people reporting uh, this kind of information, uh, the standards on, on how we define who has the right to talk about things like that. And uh, he got brain cancer very quickly and died like four months into our project and wow. the project wow. disappeared but uh we were working together he uh, i a, a psychic woman um, there, there were quite a few people that uh were working on this project and we're passing notes and stuff and then he, and then he just he just passed on so um yeah um george um the the effort is to to make it so that it's not as much science fiction as it is science. And I'm just going to say this for the people who don't know, ufology is the study of unidentified flying objects. Because there will be a couple of people out there who would be like, what do you say? I just wanted to make sure that that was understood. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. yeah. And Paul, you also mentioned contactee. Yeah. Uh, how would you define that? So there are um, various um levels of contactee um you know when they say the, of the third kind you know that's a, a level of, of a contactee so I, I think the first kind is actually seeing um a an object um i i'm, I'm not sure what the the second kind is but um and, and you have um individuals that are abducted so that's, you know, the, uh, the third kind, I guess. Um, you have individuals that uh, are given implants while they were abducted, like Katrina, for example. Mm -hmm. And um, and then there are other ways of contact. And that's the way that, that I was contacted, which is through a medium. Um, so the medium gets the information and passes it on to, to me while she was in a hypnotic trance she would be writing you know the information down and pass it out to me and then um, when she get out of the trance she would realize what she wrote and what message did you get um i got the messages that uh, i was doing what what i was called to do um i was given the title of being counselor informer you know, so I'm not like a, a warrior or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, generally, it, it was um, very benevolent. Um, they did tell me that I am special uh, in a way, but not special like them. So they, they kind of brought in a little bit of humor for that. <laughs> um, 
and um you're special but not that special <laughs> yeah not that special yeah so uh, yeah don't get full yourself kind of thing um and well by the way you know you're not the only one that we contact you know so that that kind of thing okay um in terms of um so you brought something up and and this leads to your second novel uh, or mm-hmm. I, I guess it's a novel, right? Is that what you'd call it? I don't know. Um, yeah. Because it's partly true, right? No, it's, it's just a novel, yeah. Um, uh, that's The title of that one is What Doesn't Kill Her. Um, it's about one of the characters in the first book, Katrina. And um, like I said, this one really, really touched me because I just felt her pain. And I, I felt... Um, how she was just being bullied and, and um, she had a, a, a special power for a while. And would you mind, uh, I don't want to give it away. So how would you describe it? All right. So uh, she was a psychokinetic, which means that she is able to um, manipulate energy um, with her mind. She would be able to um, actually um, recognize energy waves much like sonar could recognize objects in water, she could recognize um, energy with her mind. Once uh, someone applies uh, energy to her, or once she's able to to focus on it, she's all, she's also a remote viewer, which means that she can um, see things in the physical nature. Um, it could be million, um, millions, thousands of miles away, but uh, she could still see uh, what is happening. Uh, because when you're when you're in the spiritual realm, Tim, uh, first of all, there are two things that are not relevant in the spiritual realm. One is time, and the other one is space. So, when you know, like when they tell psychics, well, if you're psychic, why can't you uh, like predict uh, the lottery? Well, the psychic will get the numbers, but they won't get the context. They won't know when the numbers come up or where they come up. So, you know, they may get numbers, but you, you will never know what uh, what the num- numbers are for. Same thing goes with um, remote viewers. They could see something happening, but they won't know when it would happen. Um, she, I, uh, My uh, mentor that I told you about, my spiritual mentor, she saw uh, 9-11 happen to her when she was a little girl. But she didn't know what it was about. It scared the heck out of her, but... Um, she, only when it happened did she realize, oh, that's what I saw. This is, um, you know, uh, kind of moving into the direction of like a, a Notre Dame type of conversation. And, and do you believe that there are people who um, in, in past history had the capability or have the capability of of being able to see multiple events like that and in do you are they more sensitive to it sure um there's a another guy by the name of casey um yeah he was woodrow wilson's um i guess spiritual advisor uh and um he uh i think in, in north carolina he came from um but uh, he uh had a, a lot of predictions about um uh, rising waters in in the country, um, things, uh, you know, I, it kind of escapes me because I read about him years ago, 
but um, if you look him up, he was like um, the the first uh, uh, for for the the first family. He was their psychic. I forgot his first name. And this is actually the government's, both ours and the, the the Soviet government, spent a lot of time and money trying to see if this was real. Uh, I think it, there was a movie about it, The Men That Stare at Goats, which was, you know, a little bit of a farce about it. But that was, that's a real thing. And, you know, um, I, I think if you look, I think that would, may have been the inspiration of like um, the kid on Stranger Things too. So a lot of these a lot of these stories come from fact yeah so right. the the guy that i'm telling you about is edgar case c-a-y-c-e uh he was an american american clairvoyant and um he was uh 1887 died in uh, 1945 and as i mentioned he was uh woodrow wilson's um you know like right hand man for spirituality and for psychic stuff and i think you know what's interesting about this paul is and tim uh (laughs) i i i think i think everyone's had those moments at maybe a lesser level right the the deja vu or oh my god you know i had this dream about this person and and it came true um so you get messages, but, and especially younger kids get them, but then as you get older, you, I guess you tune them out. So, um, and in terms of Katrina, so the remote viewer is really interesting because uh, if she focuses, she could see what's happening at a place far away. Um, but there are also people that have these abilities um, and one of the key, one of the characters in in the book was a DD or yeah DD uh, yeah yep. um yeah he was uh, he was a bad Based guy. That real person yep. oh is that right oh yeah um, the guy's name is Charles Casimano who lives in Elgin he's uh, he actually does descend from the Borgias uh, he actually is psychic um, he actually did write the CIA. Um, uh, assassination manual. Um, he's a very dark person to know. Um, uh, he has uh, a really skeptical nature about him. Um, and if you get into a conversation about anything that um, has any hope in it, he'll he'll put a, a damper on it right away. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, if you're in Elgin, Illinois, and you happen to run across them, you know. Well, enjoy that conversation. (laughs) And that's in this book is just fascinating because here's uh, here's this person with this ability. And and I don't want to go into how she got the ability, but um, because (laughs) you find out in the book. um, But because she has this this ability. All these different people want to either Manipulator. manipulator, exploit her. Yep. use her or kill her right and, and uh, like i said that's why i i don't know why it hit me so hard um 
that she just needed protecting because here's this gift and you know rather than celebrate it all these people are messing with her <laughs> except for the real CIA right and and that and and that's the that's the one thing that kind of gave me a little hope about this yeah that it wasn't the government per, that wasn't the government that was being the bad guy which is no. so often in movies and books they are mm-hmm. um it was a rogue faction and right. be, and because they're somewhat useful they're allowed to do things that are not awesome well so it's the system not the government it's that it's not people it's the system it's the way that the the whole um process the, the relationships are are set up and people can't get rid of them yeah and, and again uh someone even as high up as like a president may not know what's going on within these organizations oh easily yeah which is really scary and, and that's that's what i mean about these books it opens your eyes to that because so many times you think oh man the president has to know what's going on about all this stuff. And um, if there's evil stuff that that's being done in the name of the government, well, sometimes it's not really the government. They just kind of turn a blind eye to it because they have to. And a lot of times it's done without civilian, for lack of a better word, um, civil servants really knowing what the end game plan is. Yeah, it's yeah, really eye-opening. The one thing that uh, I thought was interesting, how you know, when you talk about that, is uh, how when she was part of the remote viewing group in Nevada, that um, one of their clients was actually the Department of Defense. <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> yeah, I do. I, I, I do, and 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 that's the other thing that you know. Um, I'm probably going to have to read some of that again because she was at one point she was working for the government and then she became like a contractor. And then, and that happens a lot where you're part of the government and then you're kind of part of the government and then you're part of the government kind of, you know, and someone that doesn't work in that, it it, it gets a little cloudy. So did you like the, did you like the, uh, the chapter where uh, I introduced the guy from the department of energy? Yes. Uh, these these characters so and that's the thing your characters are very rich yeah and and uh, i i have to say paul does a great job in you feel you know these guys um you know or, or and and women too uh you get introduced to them and there's so you just know that there's layers to them um in the book katrina's partner robert uh, boy, I was not prepared after reading the first book. <laughs> I was not prepared at all for the introduction to Robert in the second book. Really? You didn't yeah. know that, huh? Okay. No, no. Cause it just seemed like he was, uh, I don't want to give away too much, but it just seemed he was so buttoned up and had his stuff together so much. Yeah. It, it made perfect sense the way the story unfolded of where he came from but I didn't see it coming. Well, you know, um, a lot of stuff that I put in the books also, um, I want to have a social voice. So um, Robert um, is the victim of 
the way the government mistreated our, our veterans. And, oh, yeah. You know, you know, his friend, uh, if you recall in, in the book, you know, he, he was rooming with his mate and his friend, I, I think, OD'd, right? Yes. So, um, yeah. Uh, uh, and again, that was self-medicating, just... right? Right. So I, I don't just write science fiction. I, I try and have a social voice in, in, a, in my books, just like I did in Disclosure Paradise, where I talked about some some, some things that were important for people to understand. Um, and and th this is just a topic that's just so. And again, when you realize that this is true, and I know there are going to be some people out there that are going to be like, yeah, right. You know what? I've known people that have had abilities. And I think if you know people that have abilities, like, you know what, I, I can see that, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And the fact that there are people like this out there, again, it just, this will expand your, your horizons for sure. Well, um, I could have uh, Katrina talk to you sometime. Oh my gosh, that would be great. If she'd yeah. be up for it. I, I, <laughs> You know, it's just, and, and so that's the other question I had, Paul. So a lot of this information, um, you know, with about Katrina, and, and I know you, you mentioned her in the forward to the book um, mm -hmm. and in some of the other stuff, it, are you not worried about the government coming after you or no, whatever? No, because we're small, we're small fish and um, they, they don't, they don't care. Um, as I mentioned, you know, it, it's like the, the X-Files. Um, the more information that's out there, uh, the more they feel that they can confuse the public. Mm. And uh, the, the more information is out there, the less response they will have. So yeah. um, they're going to go about their ways. Um, if you want to believe what we write, that's fine. It, it doesn't figure into any calculus about um changing the way things will happen uh, uh, in the country so um no i i it, there's there's no um there's no threat there and that that actually hit on a question that i was about to ask which was what happens though when you get you know, right now there's a lot of mist, right? What happens when you start putting together the patterns in the mist and you start getting closer to uh, maybe some sensitive information? I mean, are, is there any fear of that or that's not? No, because, yeah, okay. Because uh, um, as I mentioned, there there are so many books out there about uh, conspiracies, some hitting on uh, the truth, some hit, not hitting on truth. The, the, the government will allow all of this stuff to to be, you know, printed, um, as long as it doesn't involve like uh, real world, near term threats to our, say, our armed forces, for example, or our intelligence agency. But when you're talking about anomalous events uh, and you know something that borders on the paranormal they're not going to touch that. Hmm. And, you know, at a later point, um, and I know that uh, we've been talking for a while now, but maybe either in this 
show or or the next one we do with you um i'd like to talk about this you know uh in regards to also secret society and you know their impact on you know like organizations like um you know delta kappa epsilon or or you know the skull and bones you know ones that have ties to yale and and harvard and our our educational institutions because i know that you you're a big advocate of you know there's always uh you know somebody that may be able to pull us back or push us in a direction and it seems like those organizations would be well positioned to do something like that your thoughts on that that goes into a part of rabbit hole that i prefer not to go because they're there's so much that could come out of that. Hold on for a second. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I think I made him nervous. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Still coming off that cold. Oh. Um, so, and, and that's another aspect of, of, um, you know, uh, the underlying forces that may be or may not be controlling uh, and that it may have an agenda that everyone is trying, it, that they want everyone to follow unknowingly, um, that uh, could mean such a, a vastly uh, negative uh, aspect about our life here, uh, lending the thought that we have much less control than than we have uh and and that there is you know a scheme and everyone is um is really uh expendable in in this scheme uh i i prefer not to go uh into that but i will um re i guess um concur with your thought about education where our our schools now are being used as free research and development for the big corporations. Yeah. And, you know, when they do studies, the studies are being paid by the corporations. When the studies come out and the studies may uh, indicate positive uh, aspects about a certain uh, part of whatever the, the study is about to support that, that corporation. So um, our, our education, uh, system has been um, marginalized because of that. No, that's good. That's good feedback. And then that's in, in, you know, I, I always wondered, you know, where and how they play into that um, uh, groups, um, individuals that come from those types of groups, you know, what impact that they have. Many presidents were part of secret society, um, U S presidents, sorry. Yeah. And, um, right. you know, uh, obviously when you have a group of individuals, obviously there's an agenda, whatever that agenda is, whether it be power, whether it be money, like you had said, um, or a suppression of an idea. Um, now that we're talking about it in this context, um, uh, you, it's not hard to connect the dots. No, you're right. Um, this, this, I think the Skull and Bone Society is real. Um, it, it's very, if you 
if you think about it, it's very possible that there was a link between the Skull Mullen Society and what happened in 9-11. But boy, that's one heck of a rabbit hole to go down. And, and um, you know, uh, it's all conjecture right now. Uh, they do a, a very good job of uh, hiding, you know, their um, information. You know, there's a, I'm sure you know about, uh, oh, there's a, a group that meets in California. Um, and apparently very high-end people and they do some some sort of satanic ritual um they're you know that that's another aspect that uh, i i don't cover in either of the books i i leave that to you know people like dan brown mm-hmm. um so um and i i don't um I don't trust any th- information about those those things um, that's on on the internet because um, a lot of it could be, you know, just made up. So um, I, I'm not going to. I only write what I know. Sure. And, and I'm I'm not going to um, uh, try and uh, present something um, that later on will be seen as um, a hoax or, or debunked. And, and to your point, a lot of it could be, earlier point you made, a lot of it could be disinformation as well. Yeah, right. And, and Paul, I'd heard you um, on, a, on a different podcast, which I'm sure wasn't nearly as fun or exciting as this one, um, talk about how overall in the universe that there is a struggle basically between good and bad. Well, that's how um, I was able to get the uh, colonel to talk to me. Um, when when we met, uh, we were supposed to meet, and, and I was supposed to um, talk to him about what was going on in Antarctica. And you know, because I, I passed him on uh, the the coordinates, and he looked at the coordinates and he said, "Wow, you know, there really is something going on over there." Um, you know, physical signs of of, uh, of some sort of activity. And um, we met uh, for dinner, and right before sitting down, uh, you know, he, he was going to ask me a question, and I said, "Hold it before you, um, before you, you ask me a question about what I sent you. You need to know that we are in the middle of a, of a spiritual war, and that we are part of it." And it's a war for our, our, our spirits and, and we need to uh, be like warriors uh, in, in this battle because they, they need our help. I didn't say that, okay? That came out of me, but that's, that was not what I intended to say, but I said it. That was something that was somehow manipulated because what happened after that, he divulged all kinds of information that he would never divulge to anyone else about his existence really so in that moment um he was in uh, tears when when he was when you heard that sorry so so when you got that message you know i i like music i I really equated to music and when you listen to to people that have come up with just incredibly impactful and, and important pieces of music they say it didn't come from them that they were like a channel 
for the yeah. this music to flow through. Did you feel like a channel at that moment that that message came through you but wasn't from you? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, I said it, it was my, my, uh, voice, my lips were moving. Um, but it wasn't for my brain. Hmm. And would you, were you kind of freaked out by the response? By his response? Yeah. No, I mean, see, that's the thing about me. I, I tend to be a very good listener and, and nothing really phases me about what these people tell me mm. you know you know when uh leslie katrina was telling me about things you know i was i was listening and i was uh asking questions uh on things that she was missing and and um you know uh the colonel the same thing um all of the other people um oh if you recall uh, the guy at the end um hugo yeah uh trevor hugo um who, who sent me all of those sketches that I used in, in the back of the book. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, uh, and, and the woman that is the, um, uh, oh, the artist where, uh, you know, she is, um, oh, she's autistic. You know, she sent me all of her work in PDF form. I mean, for some reason, these people, are connecting with me. The woman that sent me the, uh, the information from her mother, who was a uh, CIA, and she sent me the information about Dulce, you know, I don't think she sent that to anyone else. So there's something going on there. And, and the other part I wanted to ask you about your first book. Um, and again, not giving away too much, <laughs> but uh, in towards the end of the book, you talk about um actual extraterrestrials uh kind of in locations that the government knows about and either coexisting or whatever with humans um oh yeah in alaska well yeah and then you know like the one of the final scenes so oh, the one in, in uh new mexico yeah, yeah. Um, and that shows up in the second book too. Yeah, is is that based on fact or was that for uh, for dramatic, you know? Well, all right. So the the actual um, fortification is factual, and that was the information that I got from uh, the woman uh, whose mother was CIA. She sent me like six hundred pages of PDFs. Wow. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and I still have them. Um, and it, it talked about everything that I explained in that, in that novel, you know, about uh, them uh, harvesting um, humans and uh, fetuses and turning them into um, like men in black. Wow. That is so cool. So, so one of the interesting things, again, I, my mind's always, always trying to make connections here, you know, and, and when we were talking about the human race and, you know, this being a training ground and, and, um, you know, how we're on the naughty list and stuff right now. Um, <laughs> it, um, I thought, you know, if there was a benevolent and there are good and bad guys, uh, yeah. extraterrestrials, right? So yeah. if we had, if we had a benevolent race that presented itself and said, look, um, 
we are a more advanced race and we're here to guide you right mm. because i think people work better when it, it seems like you have to have the protection around you and then that allows people to be nice if you will but well uh george um that did happen it happened exactly the year zero and um an emissary was sent to test the humans if we were ready to join the community the universal community and so uh, this emissary was actually a hybrid um, the woman was artificially inseminated um, we know her as mary hmm. and they gave birth to a child that um, was did not appear of the Middle East. Um, so when that child appeared uh, and they were going from place to place to find a, a place to stay, um, it scared the wits out of the people that saw that child. So that's why they couldn't get anywhere um, and they found the manger. Then you fast forward uh, and they sent that child to India to learn uh, Buddhism and that uh, child grew up, learned, learned the ways of, of the Buddhist, but um, applied it in his own uh, manner. Uh, once upon his return, everyone saw that he was different. They came and they crowded him uh, and they realized it was something special and he had certain powers. Anyway, um, because he was different, because he was, um, uh, you know, bo both in appearance and in the way that that he was uh, teaching people, um, that he was not only put to death, but he was put to death in a way that uh, they wouldn't put to death the, the humans. So um, that person was Jesus, of course. And so Jesus was sent as a test for us to see how we would react to uh, that kind of influence and we failed it and there's no way that they're going to send another Jesus back. Yeah. And, and it, it's, it's interesting that it's documented. And again, this is, that's what I mean about this book. It, it ties together religion as opposed to just trying to say technology is a new religion, which a lot of science fiction does. And this is written about in the text. And, and again, it kind of speaks to our nature of the authority at the time especially the religious authority at the time felt threatened and thought that they would lose power and influence and they're the ones that ultimately put them to death yeah yep. and 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 so you know as i was thinking about that i'm like boy you know if, if you have another power if you will of these of these other races could that serve to unify the planet mm. and so in in a utopian world yes but what would happen is people would look to profit because of our greedy nature right. and and then uh or, or right away we would become defensive and be even worse than we are today so you know, my money is on if they come down, let's put Paul in charge. 
<laughs> I so like that idea. Because he's got the right mindset, right, of how to move us forward. But because le- left to ourselves, we're going to screw it up. We just need oh, Paul to, 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 you know, so. Uh, a common he, person to, you know, unite behind. I like that well, idea. Well, 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 yeah, and a person that, that <laughs> understands the human nature and, and what we need to do and, you know, cut through all the all, all the, the the bad parts of ourselves. Yeah. Absolutely. I like well, you, you know, there are, you know, um, George, you mentioned good and bad ETs, right? Yep. And um, so, you know, as I mentioned, there's a war for our spirits. Um, so uh, there's outside influence um, uh, on our planet uh, to ensure that um, we behave the way that we are. Um, and it starts out at the very top um, with whoever, uh, you know, and we're talking like a, um, a spiritual entity that is, um, I guess, evil or de- demonic, um, being able to uh, reward whoever is, um, I guess, promoting an environment that has war, mm-hmm. hunger, poverty, uh, that kind of thing, uh, the the separation of um, uh, of uh, people and, uh, I, you know, racism, for example, as long as that's going on, these uh, very few families uh, get earthly um, rewards, you know, as mm-hmm. in the form of wealth. They, in turn, have their own minions that uh, will be also rewarded for promoting that kind of thing so it's it's a pyramid uh scheme if if you will and um the point is that as long as there's or there are wars and and there is um crime and uh, the reason for crime uh which is poverty and and other things like that then you're going to have people that when they are when they die and they pass their spirit will not ascend to a higher level of existence mm. but will return so as long as you have this recycling effect you're not going to have spirit it's uh world so think of it as like a think as a you know in baseball you have the a double a triple a and then the major league right mm-hmm. yep we'll never get to the major league which is where all the fighting is going on as long as we keep on recycling and it kind of let it kind of adds validity to a lot of different religious texts about good versus evil light versus dark and how if you if you live a righteous life and help others then you do ascend and that ascension in in the catholic and christian belief is heaven and the you know if you fail it's it's hell or purgatory right and mm, so yeah and so what you're saying tracks with with religious text as well to a point um there is no heaven or hell there's only um ascension uh to or and then returning back to, um 
to kindergarten again, you know, for yeah, example, but 2000, but 2000 years ago, that uh, it would have been hard to frame that. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, the karmic law, for example, um, if a person here is a rapist, right. Mm -hmm. Uh, and he dies and he passes on and, you know, after a while it comes back in order to learn the lesson, uh, of life that he missed, that person will be a victim. Mm. That's the karmic law. The karma, the kar karma is not, you know, instant as, you know, John Lennon says, it's not, <laughs> it's not instant. It's not like, you know, you do something good and then something good happens afterward. Karmic law refers to the, um, the, the stages of, of our existence. Okay. So it's just a longer term, right? Oh, yeah, because we we just we want everything instantaneous, and um, yeah, okay. I'm all about the well, read... gratification. <laughs> yeah. So, um, George, you you read in in uh, Disclosure Paradox where uh, Silvani was in that reading with um, uh, Anne. Yes. Uh, over when they were in. The, yeah, uh, they were they were going. Aurora. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And they, right. they were they were going to go to I think Dulcie next was it? Well, they were going to go to well, I they're going to Missouri next. Okay. St. Louis, but um, uh, that reading where she had Silvani and uh, she explained his past lives. Yes. That's true. That's me. Oh. I did that in previous lives. Wow. That's all true. So you're a pretty logical guy. Um, I, I take it you had a reading and you found that out, right? I, I had a reading with a psychic, yeah. And um, so she explained to me you know, the, the first uh, life, which is the... Uh, um, was it the uh, the, the um, Siberian um, shaman? And then she explained to me the uh, Aztec warrior. Mm -hmm. And then she explained why I did not ascend. Right? Yeah. As again, as you're hearing this. Um, does it take a while to digest that? It, uh, for me, or did um, it, or, or did it seem like, yeah, okay. Yeah, exactly. I, I was like, um, okay, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Interesting. You know, it, it, I, there's, um, there is one place that I was at that I, I had, and I think it was like 13 and I just had an experience. I had clearly been there before. I was clearly very comfortable and familiar with the place, mm. um, even though it was my first time there. It was, and I've never felt that since. And that was at the uh, ceremonial ceremonial place in Tulum, Mexico. Oh wow! Awesome. Um, and at thirteen, it was just a rush of familiarity and emotion and i i still haven't completely 
don't know what it meant, but I knew I was there. I knew that that was kind of home for me at one point. That's, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it was, it was, it was very cool. Um, all right, Paul, we're on like two hours. <laughs> yeah. A very, um, a very good two hours. Um, oh, this very, is great. Yeah, this was great. Thank you. Um, so Paul, what's, uh, what's, uh, I, um, I don't mean to rush you. What's next? Yeah. Yeah, what's, right. in, what's in the pipeline? What are you working on next? Are there any other books? Yeah. So in the same idea about bringing out a, a message and mm-hmm. also divulging truth and also making people think, mm-hmm. the next novel <clears throat> is going to involve a conspiracy, an extraterrestrial conspiracy where... Um, Mary Ellen gets involved again and it is an extraterrestrial conspiracy to get the DNA from Jesus oh wow who was a hybrid right who was a hybrid because here's the deal guys and this is truth okay Mm -hmm. if you see something in the sky right yep if you don't if you don't know if it's good or bad all you need to do is to focus on it and like say a prayer of a benevolence towards it. And if you feel something back positive, you'll know they're good. If you don't, you know they're not. So the one thing about the bad extraterrestrials guys, they don't know what love is. So they can't even synthesize it. And we can use love as a power of, of um, recognition and they know that and so they know that this power is probably in the DNA of Jesus and they're gonna they're gonna want to find it Wow so the the one question I would ask and if you haven't written the book um, <laughs> what what if I could just, you know, recommend. Here we go. Uh, um, <laughs> Here we go. Uh, how, if you do find yourself in the presence of one of these bad ones, yeah. How do I, how do I protect myself? That's all. That's no. that's all I would. Yeah, I, you know, um, well, okay. Meditation is something that we need to use more um, to connect with the, the spiritual realm. Um, one thing that you do is you, uh, imagine, you know, cause the mind is much more powerful than you think guys. And just imagine a, a sphere, uh, of protection around you that serves as a shield. It's a spiritual shield. You, you uh, that's what you do when, when you have that kind of fear. The other thing is call out in Jesus Christ I command you to leave hmm. that name really does wield that much power yes it does you know I mean uh, he was an emissary uh, and he was a, a benevolent emissary he's, he's got a lot of power and they feared him 
All right. Well, dude, I can't wait. <laughs> really? I, I mean, I, not, I, not put any pressure on you, nothing. But... <laughs> right faster. No. <laughs> um, Paul, this has been fantastic. I, I, I have a question yeah. really quickly. Paul, oh, oh, if, yeah. your, if your fans want to get a hold of you, oh, yeah, yeah, how yeah. do they do that? All right. So I have a website. It's uh, www.thedisclosureparadox.com. And it's pretty cool because it's got all kinds of stuff in there. You can read excerpts from the books. You can read reviews from the first book and the second book. Um, you can read excerpts from, you know, both, both books, actually. Uh, and, you know, the, the, you can read about the characters, too. Um, the other thing is on Facebook, I actually have a Facebook page, an author's page for um, myself. So, you know, just look up my name on Facebook and I have an author's page. I've got quite a few folks following on that too. Excellent. And and that uh, and again the spelling is Paul G V E C C H I E T. 